Welcome, friends, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, whether you're across town or across the globe. I'm your host, Karen Tate, voted one of the most influential women of goddess spirituality because of this show, Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you so much for your listener loyalty and for being such an important part of the Voices of the Sacred Feminine family from wherever you're listening from. That cut opening tonight's show uh, was by Jan Aldrich Clanton, and it's called Wisdom Sophia. And uh, that was part of the song which I played in honor of tonight's show, uh, which is going to be about embracing Sophia. And uh, tonight, my guests are Kathy Pagano, returning with the Cosmic Story, telling us what the moon, stars, and energies out there have cooked up for us during the month of June. Then Mystic Wynne Manners is with us in our show called Embracing Sophia. We'll be talking to Wynne about his mystical experiences, prophetic dreams, his experiences of Sophia, uh, who who has uh, has also linked him to his mother on the other side. Uh, He's had incredible experiences of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. So there's a lot to say, so please stay tuned in. Uh, If you like esoterica, this is a show you won't want to miss. But first, uh, a few housekeeping tidbits before we get to Kathy. Uh, especially for the new listeners. I'm very excited to announce the long-awaited trip to visit Goddess Sites of Turkey in May of next year. Uh, The itinerary is on the drawing board. So if you're interested in being uh, on this small tour of men and women, we're going to keep the group to around 20. Let me hear from you so I can put you on the list and you'll get updates. Uh, Turkey, I don't know if you've thought about it as a goddess destination, but trust me, it is. I've been there three times already. It's an incredible melting pot of goddess cultures of Isis, Cabelli, Mary, Kubaba, Aphrodite, um, many more goddesses in the museum in Ankara. It's just, it's just incredible. Uh, and honestly, uh, this is not a place a lot of goddess advocates go yet. These uh, sacred sites are really off the beaten path. They're not where m- the average tourist goes. So we have a lot of private time together. Then in July, if you're in or near Nashville, Tennessee, within driving distance, you might want to know about the Divine Feminine Conference. I'm one of the presenters for this week-long conference, weekend-long conference, which will be totally awesome. You can go to my Facebook page and scroll down a bit. You will no doubt find a posting. Uh, You'll see it is very pink, and Athena in the replica of her temple, which is in Nashville, uh, is a picture you'll click on for more information about schedule, pricing, presenters, uh, and the hotel that we're going to stay in because this is not a camping event. We're not going to rough it. And we are actually going to be doing some stuff at that museum that houses um, Athena. 
And closer to home, uh, I'm at the Green Man Store this Saturday in North Hollywood with a presentation called Goddess Spirituality, A New Reality for All Humankind. Then the following week, uh, Saturday, July, uh, June 7th, I'm at Long Beach Woman's Spirit Fair. So please come see me, visit my table. I'll have all my books. Uh, I'll have some Sistra available to sell, um, other delightful items. So write me, Facebook me, email me, send me a message uh, if you're interested in any of this stuff. And if you've been following the saga of the stolen statue of our beloved Sekhmet out in Indian Springs, just outside Las Vegas, she has not been located, but the community has risen to the occasion, raising over $3,500 to replace the statue and install some security for a new statue. There's going to be a big consecration ceremony in August, so go to the Sekhmet Temple Facebook page for more information. So, uh, with all of that said, let's not waste any more time here. I want to jump in with Kathy before she has to leave us for her dream class tonight. So, hello, Kathy. Thanks for being with us again. Hi, Karen. My pleasure. Well, um, and I'm glad thing, you're going to be... I, I, I'm sorry, did you say something? I'm having a little trouble I was hearing you. Say, yeah, the wonderful thing about um, SecNet, the good thing that's come out of the SecNet um, is that we've talked about it. The priestesses out here have said that she's on walkabout and she's bringing so many people together. So even though it was really devastating for that to happen, wonderful things have come from it. You know, I I truly believe that. It's like all, um, you know, it's like most bad things. There is a silver lining in the cloud. You know, you have to look for the gift. And I think that's what defines us, really, you know, if we turn adversity into something positive. And I do believe that sincerely from my heart. You know, it's not just making lemonade of lemons. You know, so many more people know about Sekhmet now uh, with the TV coverage from the theft. Uh, Like you said, the community coming together to replace her. Uh, This was really a blessing, you know, uh, because even though her statue was stolen, her essence is still there. Um, it shows how powerful uh, she is, you know, with uh, you know all of her devotees, you know, coming together, rallying like this, really showing the tenacity that is Sekhmet. Yes, and calling us back to her in a renewed way, which is really wonderful to see. Good, good. So anyway, so- let's go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I, I'm, it's, it's wonderful to hear, and uh, I encourage my listeners who are within driving distance to go to the uh, ceremony in August. Um, you know, I'm definitely going to make the trip. I'm going to be there as, you know, we'll be bringing an entourage from, you know, from the L.A. area to come, uh, as I'm sure people are coming from other uh, areas to welcome the new statue uh, to her home. Yes. And all, this, all of us Sekhmet priestesses here in Las Vegas are going to hold vigil there, and we might even go in a caravan I, um, to get the statue. So it's really a beautiful coming together. So thank you, great goddess. Yes, thank you, Sasakim Sahu. So let's get with it. Um, so, Kathy, okay. what, uh, what can we expect? What's in the cosmic story for the month of June? Well, Um, Today, it was the new moon in Gemini, and um, the the cosmic story is really a beautiful story of flow from one 
aspect of life into another, just like the wheel of the year is. And so we have the the bursting forth of new life in Aries and um, the grounding in Taurus. And now that we're in Gemini, um, it's about the mind. Gemini is the um, archetypal energy that rules the mind and how we use our mind. And um, the story itself is about the divine and mortal twins, the ancient Greek story, and very much like the mind. You know, do we see things in, do we see the small um, you know, do you see the part of the mind that is um, that only takes the short view, that looks at facts, and that's the rational mind. And that's very much often what we say about um, Gemini. But also Gemini is has the immortal twin, too. And so it's how do we take the long view as well as the short view? And there's a beautiful quote I found by William Blake. Um, as I was looking up Huxley about the doors of perception, but he got it from William Blake, and it says, if the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would appear to man as it is, infinite. And so with this um, new moon today, of course we all know that at at new moon we plant new seeds, it's a new beginning of a cycle, and so in Gemini we plant new seeds of how we perceive the world. And um, not to get redundant, but I'm going to. Um, you know, in, in April, we had the fifth of the seven squares between the planet of revolution and evolution. Uh, joining that were two other planets. It was right on America's um, 4th of July chart sun. And so there was a grand cross in the sky. And, and um, so it was like a womb or a matrix, this new, uh, a new beginning for all of us. And if you look out at the news, you see... Um, all of the different protests, people are protesting Monsanto. There's going to be a big environmental march in New York. Um, it, I think it's the 20th of September. But all the environmental groups are getting together and demanding that something be done about climate change. Um, so there, there's just everybody, you know, has, is energized. And then in Taurus, we got to ground some of that energy, and, and perhaps people are beginning to see that, some of the things that they've been working on and and wanting to manifest are slowly beginning to manifest because I think we talked about it last time, the planet Mars was going backwards in the sky from March, the beginning of March. It was retrograde because the the Earth's orbit passed Mars' orbit, so it looked like Mars goes backwards. And we say that goes inwards. So Mars is in Libra, and it was going backwards in Libra, learning Venus's or Aphrodite's lesson about relationships, about balance, about equal partnership. And on the 17th of May, it, it turned around and went direct, so now it's moving forward again. And it will be in Libra until July, sometime in July. And so we really, you know, all of us are hungering for the right kind of relationships, not just romantic relationships, but all of our relationships, and it's the time to step forward. The cosmos is saying, really step forward and be truthful and honest in your relationships and make relationships a priority um, rather than just something that's, you know, there that you have to deal with after you get home from work. Because right. really the juicy part of life is relationships. Well, and, you know, we you love. could... Well, yeah, I mean, you could... I mean... I mean, think about the idea of relationship and partnership. I mean, really, that's everything when you think about it. You know, whether you're talking about your relationship or partnership with your kids, 
your loved one, you know, uh, whether we're talking about partnerships between, you know, corporations and their employees or, uh, you know, the relationships between countries, um, you know, uh, you know can, can corporations even create win-win situations among themselves so that we have, uh, you know, winners and win-win situations rather than winners and losers? And, and how we, you know, how we are in relationship to the earth. What is that partnership? So everything, everything is really relationship. And, you know, maybe that needs to be punctuated more often. I think so, Um, because we've certainly gotten away from it thinking that work was better um, than play and pleasure, as one of my favorite um, poets, Rookie, said. But, you know, play and pleasure is so important, of course, that God believes in that one, too. And um, relationships and love are really the central core of life, and I think that you're going to start to see, we're going to start to see people remembering that and really valuing that much more than oh I have to get to work I have to make money I have to buy things and that's what's going to shift things and of course and that's one of the things with this Gemini new moon Gemini is about how we observe things and how we uh, analyze things and it often has to do with rationality and how we classify things you know but it's really too. And, it's, and, and often it's subjective, but it's really about how we experience life. And so it has to do with our paradigm of life or our perceptions of life. And if we could start to change our perception of life out of, let's bring patriarchal thinking that things have to be either or, but um, lean to a balance with also the feminine um, right brain, which says, oh, this can be this and that. And mm-hmm. um, and, and bring about a beautiful balance um, because Gemini wants us to have discussions. That's what we're really missing on a personal level, I think, often, but on a national level and an international level. It, to, to have a real discussion and a real conversation about the important things in life. And the more that we do it individually with our friends and the people that we interact with, the more that everyone's going to start to, you know, to perhaps start to have the conversations the world needs to have about how are we going to create a new society that is global in many ways and that is more fair and balanced and that is definitely in partnership with the earth because that's, that's the evolutionary task right now. We need to remember that we are partners with the earth um, well, and, and not just our, the domination of the earth. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, patriarchy wants us to be exclusionary. You know, patriarchy wants us at each other's throats, wants us to create wedge issues, wants that, um, you know, uh, right and wrong, uh, you know, my way or the highway kind of attitude, you know, as opposed to the sacred feminine that's inclusive. Like you said, let's bring us all in dialogue so we can find common ground because, you know what, I'm sure we can find some common ground with even the most crazed Fox News zealot if we really tried. Yes, and that's why we have to get out of the boxes of, oh, I'm on the left and I'm on the right. You know, you're a Tea Party person. I'm a progressive leftist socialist. You know, and, and, and drop the categories. Those are old categories. It's sort of like as a Jungian psychologist, uh, I, I do love the fact that when we talk about things, we might say, oh, you have a negative mother complex. Let me tell you a fairy tale about the Wicked Witch. 
rather than oh you're 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 a schizophrenic or you're borderline or you have a severe case of neurosis. Um, some of those um, clinical designations really put people in a box and don't see them as a living, breathing, transforming person. And so we need to re- we need to step away from some of the old categories, which might not really um, be helpful anymore. And that's what this new moon can be about. The interesting thing about the new moon, um, too, is that Mercury is slowing down to go retrograde. Yes, it once again is going retrograde. Going retrograde next week on June 7th until July 1st. And uh, Mercury is going to be heading into Cancer, I think, tonight or tomorrow. And it's only going to go up to about four degrees, and then it's going to stop, and it's going to look like it goes backwards. It's going to retrograde. So basically, you know, the, our minds are, are traveling and, and exploring and saying, wow, things feel new now. Feel, things feel different since that grand cross. Where are we going? What do we want to do? And then we have to backtrack a little. And, and when it goes into cancer, it's really about what does our emotional body need? What do, what do we need to feel safe and nurtured and secure? Cancer is the sign of the mother. And, of course, you know, in terms of the good mother, um, you know, we want to say we love you and that you deserve to be alive and you have many talents and you're wonderful. And so as Mercury goes, dips into Cancer and then moves back into, into Gemini for a couple of weeks, um, we have to really begin to think about, like we were saying, what makes us happy and secure? Um, you know, having terrorist alerts don't. Um, you know, maybe um, realizing that we don't need to go out and, and buy that new extra thing um, and then worry about money. Maybe it's better to stay home and play games with your kids. Um, so it's about a real reorganization right now of our mental patterns and how we combine the big vision, the mystical vision, if you will, of life, and the concrete realities that we have to deal with. So it's a beautiful balancing act um, because Gemini wants to do everything and um, (laughs) can see every point of view. That's one of President Obama's issues. He's a Leo, but he has a Gemini moon. And so he sees, his third eye sees the world in, oh, great, everything is wonderful. I could get into that. You know, and so he might be making some decisions on one day and then seem to be making decisions completely opposite. But that's what Gemini can do. Gemini doesn't, isn't totally concerned with moral principles because, of course, Mercury was the, um, is the planet that rules Gemini. And, of course, Mercury, besides being the psychopomp, the energy that leads you to the land of the dead or the land within, He's also Hermes the thief. He's the god of thievery and business and traveling. And um, so, you know, Mercury Mercury isn't necessarily moral. One of his first stories of Hermes was that when he was just a day old, he he stole his brother's cows, his brother Apollo's cows, and then he also created the first loot um, by taking a tortoise shell and putting strings on it. So, I mean, it's an inventive mind. It's a tricky mind, um, it's a playful mind, um, and you have to deepen that mind often. But it's about what, how we perceive the world. And so I would just say today on this new moon, um, it's a great time to plant the desire to see the world as if it was infinite, um, to see the world anew. 
and um, not putting people into categories or things into the old categories, but try to see things um, as they literally are and, um, and see if that changes your perspective on life. Hmm. Such good advice, Kathy. Um, so, so um, the new moon starts. Which, which, you know, when is it? What was the date again? It was this um, today. The new moon was this afternoon um, on the west coast at about twenty of twelve. On the east coast, about twenty of three. Um, Cancer. I mean, um, Mercury will go retrograde though next week on June seventh, which right. is you Friday. Right. You said through July first. Yeah, right. right. Uh, so that that's a long way. I mean, that's like three weeks. It'll be retrograde. Oh, I know. So. And, every, and three times a year, Mercury goes retrograde. And things all, you know, will sometimes happen be, a week or so before my computer uh, tried to die on me um, <laughs> for a few days this past week in what we call the shadow, the degrees that Mercury will go back to. And so um, if you think about the degrees that Mercury goes, has to, will, will go back to, and then if we wait to see how, Merc- how long it takes Mercury to go forward to the point where it stopped and went backwards, then it's almost like four or five, six weeks sometimes. So we're always in this, um, our minds are always pausing and saying, am I thinking about the world right? How do I want to think about it? And the more that we can tap into our feminine brain, our imagination, our dreams, things like that, and then use this rational mind to understand it. That's Mercury going to the other world, you know, being the psychopomp, being the guide and the messenger. Um, he's definitely the messenger, and so listen to the messages that come to you this month. That's a good way to put it, too. It can come to you from inside in a dream or just your body trying to tell you something, or the birds can bring you a message um, of winds coming through um, the valley or heat, you know, soaking into you or people. Listen, we need to learn to listen. Don't you think, Karen, we need a better ear? Yeah, I I think so because um you know I and I even I even have an uh you know part of an article about that in my new book um Goddess Calling in the chapter called um you know Goddess uh, Goddess Listens and you know because I I think that's that's you know really so important because we get so wrapped up in you know doing 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 you know keeping those 12 plates spinning all the time we never just slow down and pay attention and listen because that's when the insight, you know, is, that's when the insight is going to come. And if we're so busy that we, that we don't listen, we'll, we might miss something really important that, you know, we're, we're supposed to focus on. Right. Or that will just delight us and give us joy. And sometimes our, our days, the way that our culture works not that many people have joy all the time. And so with this Mercury retrograde coming up for most of, for the rest, of, you know, pretty much for the rest of um, Gemini, as the sun is in Gemini, and for a little bit of the, as the sun goes into Cancer, you know, it's really a wonderful time before the summer starts to really enjoy life, to go slow, and to listen, and to see what messages you get. 
Yeah, because remember, listeners, Mercury retrograde this time between June 7th and July 1st, that's not a time to start new projects. It's not a time to start new relationships. It's not a time to sign contracts. You know, uh, this is the time to mull it all over, you know, and then uh, if, it, if it feels right after all the mulling, after the gestating, after uh, the thinking on it, the marinating in it, then, you know, wait until after July 1st to move forward and do whatever you're going to do. That's right, exactly, exactly. So, Kathy, and also, just... Also, be careful traveling. Let me tell you a quick story. Me, that I'm the astrologer. I I traveled to Rhode Island a couple of years ago on Mercury retrograde, and for the first time ever, I lost the luggage. But on the way home, it was Mercury was turning direct, and my airplane didn't show up at oh. all. I had to wait till the next day. <laughs> I wow. think the universe is saying, Kathy, you're an astrologer. Pay more attention. Um, but it was the only time I could go, but still and all. So, yes, things like that. Um, computers will break down. Um, traveling plans might break down. But don't get frustrated. It's mostly, okay, stop, look around, and see what kind of adventure is maybe calling to you because we're always so focused on where we need to go and what we need to do. And maybe this is a, an energy in our lives where we open up to something completely new. Yeah, I mean, even though it's not a time to start anything new, it's it, we might have just a little tiny something that we don't know. Yeah, I mean, the 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 weird thing that might happen during Mer- Mercury retrograde that feels like a setback, uh, that you know, it, maybe it's really something that's detouring us. You know, that's sort that's maybe making us. Uh, stop and contemplate or just slow down you know if things if things feel like it's a struggle if you know the computer stops you know go soak in a tub and you know just sort of be with yourself and um i i, I don't know i think you, i think you know what i mean you know just use yeah. the you use the time you know you you it may feel like you are uh, sort of thrown off course but don't think of it that way, you know. Um, make lemonade of lemons, like I said earlier, and you, you know, use the time to do something different, um, you know, because that's maybe what you're supposed to be doing, you know, doing something right. different. Um, well, the other so, thing is the way to think about it is to think about that it wants to get you into a different rhythm. Ah. Okay, because most of us entrain in the rhythm of our collective culture which is pretty quick, you know. It's, so it's like hurry, 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 hurry. So Mercury retrograde, and if things don't go well, think about it in terms of, oh, I get to have a different rhythm. I get to do a different dance. Yes, okay? absolutely, absolutely, a different okay. rhythm. And instead of doing that uh, swing step, maybe we're going to waltz. <laughs> yes, um, so, Kathy, I know you got to go in a second, but I'm just to put a bug in your ear. I'm just wondering if you've had any thoughts about doing a chart on Hillary Clinton that might give us some idea about if she's going to run and if she's going to win. Um, I can do that and maybe look at it next time, okay? Okay. All right. Sounds good. Just okay. if you feel like it, you know, if it, it oh, you know, just, if you're no, too busy. Mostly, if I remember it, Karen. So <laughs> write to me. <laughs> okay. And I can do it, but it's mostly about remembering it now that I'm getting older. Um, so definitely, I would love to do that, and we'll talk next time about other things, and we'll talk about Hillary's chart definitely. 
Okay, thank you, Kathy. Have a great dream class. Okay, thank you, everyone. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. Well, listeners, um, as usual, that was a great talk with Kathy Pagano, and uh, let me say goodbye to her and thank you as I welcome uh, our next guest up, Wynn Manners, is there on the switchboard. Uh, So let me unmute him and say hello to Wynn. Hey, Wynn, how are you doing? Well, I'm here. <laughs> oh, you know what? Don't, you know, like I, I think I might have mentioned to you, just think of it as you and I are sitting across the kitchen table with a cup of coffee or tea, and it's only you and me here, nobody else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah, let me tell this. Let me tell listeners a little bit about you, Win, and then we're going to talk about this this intriguing topic we have, uh, you know, for listeners, embracing Sophia. So, uh, my dear listeners, Wynn Manners is with us. He is a poet, a mystic. Uh, I'm going to have him explain some of these other labels he has given, has, uh, has given himself. He is an idiosyncratic iconoclast, an epist- epistolarian, and psalmist, for Sophia. He graduated from Michigan State University, Oakland, outside Rochester with a BA in 1964, and he is a member of the second graduating class. He's been writing since 14. Most of his writing has been his personal journal and file drawers full of copies of personal letters to people around the world, often 12 pages long. And I can attest, wind tends to be a little long-winded. I've I've, uh, had to sit down with a cup of coffee to read some of his emails. They're not for quick reading. Some of his uh, letters have been 50 pages long when he rambles about uh, the friends in his life up to this point. Uh, His mentors are Jesus, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau, Alan Watts, uh, and J. Krishnamurti. Uh, He's mostly a recluse whose lifestyle isn't quite that of Thoreau on Walden Pond or of Han Shan in Lao Tzu when he retired and left for the mountains, but has somewhat in common uh, with that ideal. His first mystic experiences happened in the summer of 69. His first experience of Sophia happened in the fall of 73 after the death of his grandmother and some close friends. His closest friends, uh, having been a poet, uh, killed precipitously young when decided to fulfill in his own way writing a a replacement poetry for what his friend never lived to write, which diverted him from his initial dream of becoming a science fiction fantasy novelist, The Road Not Taken. But you know what, when it is never too late. So take a deep breath. It feels like this is going to be a deep deep mystical conversation and I I feel so honored that you would feel safe uh, to share some of these uh, very personal experience with us uh, here on Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Well, I I feel honored and privileged that you invited me, Karen. Well, you know, these, you know, when these are the kinds of things that everybody doesn't experience, you know, um, I don't know if they just feel commonplace to you, but I think most people would give their eye teeth, you know, to have a mystical experience. You know, we all talk about it, read about it, uh, you know, wonder about it, but everyone doesn't always have them. So, 
um, I think not only it's important to talk about it um, so that other people have a sense of what it might be like and maybe the wisdom that can be gleaned from it, but it might also encourage other people who are having these sorts of experiences you know, to maybe come out of the closet and share uh, share theirs as well. You know, when they hear you be, you know, you're, you're being courageous and, um, you know, coming on a radio show and, and, you know, sharing with people around the world, um, you know, these beautiful, beautiful uh, experiences, you know, that you've had. Um, so, you know, so let's let's uh, jump right in here. Um and I, I guess I'm going to ask you, you know, something, and you know, you might not have the answer, but why you win? Why do you think you have been blessed with these um, with with these incredible experiences we're about to talk about? Boy, that's a difficult question to answer. Um, uh, I don't know. I sought one. You know, I, I sought mystical experiences. I mean, I, I view the likes of uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, um, Henry David Thoreau, Alan Watts as being mystics in reality. I think Jesus was a mystic in reality. I think even Paul was a mystic. So, you know, once I got immersed in Alan Watts, uh, definitely I was one of those seeking a cosmic consciousness experience. Um, I think the seeking is an essential component, although mystic experiences come to people who have never sought them, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, and I think I think a large component is being open to the possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of people that um, it's like they're, once they get caught up into a dogmatic religion, they, they're, they're so, it kind of forms a wall around their whole belief matrix, and I think they shut some things out mm-hmm. as a result of that. Or maybe they become uh, fearful because, you know, who knows? Maybe that voice is from the devil. <laughs> right, definitely, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing voices, and you know, some of them aren't good voices. You know, or or they're afraid to tell their friends because you know their friends might think they're ready for a rubber room or something when. You know, really, they might be receiving divine insight. Right, exactly, and and their uh, and, and their belief matrix shuts that out. Uh, and you know, I mean, mystics are, you know, the mystic experience is ultimately subversive <laughs> to the whole patriarchal culture. <laughs> well, well, true, true, because I mean, the, the patriarchy doesn't want us. You know, they want us in these narrow little boxes. You know, they don't want us having direct connection to the divine, you know, because I don't know, I think when we when we feel like we have that connection, we're not so easily controlled. We're not so fearful. Um, you know, we might be a little bit more likely to not conform. Is that what you mean? Oh, definitely, definitely. And we're going to be a little more courageous <laughs> to yeah. speak out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, when you have that direct connection, you get you get reassurance. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly, the voices that speak to me give me reassurance. 
So, all right. So let's let's. Uh, I want to talk about the voices, but I I want to also ask you um, for for listeners out there. I can imagine they're at home saying, "Karen, ask him, ask him." You know, the seeking. I mean, if you if you are somebody out there who does want an experience, you know, do you have any advice on how to make the connection? Uh well, I suspect the best way is meditation. You know, you, you quiet, quiet the mind so that your own ego thoughts aren't creating a blockage. That hasn't been me. I'm not really a meditator. But, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, for some reason, at you know, a point in my life, Sophia reached out to me. Um, and why she chose me over others, uh, you know, I've asked that question of myself several times. And I really don't have an answer. Except that, except that, you know, I mean, at this point in my life, when she reached into my life, I was already retired. So I had total free time, mm-hmm. whereas most people don't have that. And right. when, I, when I'm listening for her voice or listening for Yeshua's or Magdalene's voice, um, I spend literally lots of hours just leaving my mind open, listening, and hearing very, very little. So most people don't have that kind of opportunity with their lives. They can't spend that number of hours. And I think ultimately she knew that, you know, I would come forth for her. Right. Um, well, you know, well, you know, I don't, awesome. I mean, you know, I have a sense of you. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know you real well. But you, to me, you strike me as a gentle, thoughtful um, uh person who is almost, uh, you know, I, I guess I would, I think of you as what, what we wish most men were like, you know, I mean, we're, have, we're seeing all of this stuff in the news about, uh, you know, misogyny and sexism and, uh, you know, violence and, and, and I hate to say it, but nine out of ten times it's perpetuated by men. You know, uh, it, it's that, uh, I don't know if it's, you know, male entitlement, if it's just the testosterone. Uh, I mean, there's so many things, and that's not really what I want to talk about. But you seem like you're the opposite of all of that. You know, you're, you're the, you, are the, you are almost an example of the sacred masculine that um, we want to see more men emulate, in a sense. Um, does does that? I mean, you know, be honest. I, I mean, you you know, you you can be humble and 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 still recognize, you know, these valuable traits in yourself. I mean, do, do you feel like that maybe describes you a bit? Yeah, that definitely describes me. See, my my major role models have been Jesus and the Tao Te Ching. And yeah. The Tao Te Ching focuses upon the feminine, focuses upon receptivity. And I would say that Jesus was, and Jesus and Buddha and Lao Tzu, these people are so important because, to my view, they weren't just the divine masculine, they were the synthesis of the divine masculine and the divine feminine. Right. I mean, Jesus is proclaimed as being the son of God, but you know, I think there was fully as much Sophia was in Jesus as Heavenly Father. Yeah, so I it's the balance so. of the masculine and the feminine in these people that makes them stand out. And, uh, you know, I've been online, you know, uh, people have mistaken me for being a woman, <laughs> <laughs> including Margaret Starbird. That was totally delightful. <laughs> but, 
because because uh, of uh, because of what you wrote, you mean? Because of the yeah, because of the way I was writing. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or or yeah. in back in like what early on when I got online, I was uh, investigating um, Lilith because that was a curious thing to be investigating, and I posted something to a Lilith bulletin board, and there was a Mormon, young Mormon man that came on, totally on attack. Obviously, I was a bitter feminist woman of old age <laughs> from the nature of what I had written. <laughs> until, until I woke him up to the fact that uh, I was a man. I'd been two, with two women who had never seen me as being a bitter old woman and had fathered three children. <laughs> At which point he did this total turnabout. and. Wow. Uh, then he was totally abject and apologizing, and he could understand if I could never forgive him for calling me a woman. And I'm like, God, you're just digging yourself in deeper. It doesn't bother right. me. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, because he, act, he, he thought that was an insult to you. That. He thought that was the ultimate of insults, yes. Right, right. Uh, Right, right. Well, I'm curious. What what was the gist of your piece on Lilith? You know, that she was the first feminist that that didn't want to be, uh, you know, subjected to, uh, you know, to to Adam, you know, lay beneath him. Or what was sort of the gist of it? It was probably that gist. I, truth to tell, it was way back in '99, and I haven't read that over in so long that I don't honestly remember. Uh, but I, I definitely took a few cracks. I, you know, I took some swipes at the patriarchal god in the right. course of it. Uh, well, how can you not? I, I mean, yeah, really, well, how can right. you not? <laughs> it, well, well, yeah, I mean, and, and I, I don't say this to be inflammatory, but, um, I, I mean, I'm, of course I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm talking about the God of the Bible. I mean, you know, this is, you know, this is a sociopath. I mean, this is a guy you don't even want for your neighbor or your husband or your brother. I mean, this is a guy that... You know, you want to you want him locked away someplace. Why would you choose him for your god? You would have to you would have to be a masochist, I think. You know, I agree, hundred percent, and that's exactly the kind. Of, yeah, I don't tend to push that on my website or on my Facebook page, but I do push that uh, when I participate at Yahoo Answers. That's where my idiosyncratic iconoclastic self comes out, and that's an iconoclastic view. You know, uh, that. This God is that. <laughs> well, and and don't and I mean, look, maybe I'm stating the obvious here, and and I don't mean to get off track because I know we got to get to Sophia and 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 stuff, but it feels like to me because it, it's almost as if that God has given men, you know, since the beginning of time, license to behave badly. You know, license to murder, license to go to war, license to abuse, license to exploit, license to dominate. You know, uh, I mean, what were you know what were the people of the Bible doing from the get-go? They were dominating other people in the region. You know, to, uh, taking their land, going to war with them. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm not a, uh, a student of the Bible, but I remember hearing that Moses came down from the mountain and one of the tribes didn't want to get on the program and he had them, he had them slaughtered. I mean, I don't know whether you, I, I'm speaking accurately or not. I mean, if you know, correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a lot of years since I've read those stories. Yeah, it, it, but it but it seems like to me it's all about violence. So is there any wonder we have a violent world, really? Yeah, and and I I kind of wonder I I wonder 
does that entity really exist? I'm not sure he does, but I'm not sure he doesn't too. And um, and or is is this just nothing more than ego projections of the men who were violent and filled with rage and filled with greed and jealous projected upon their image of God that then it got recorded in the Bible and in the Quran too because you've got similar violence there. Um, and I'm not totally sure there. Whether yes, the like what really came first, the, the chicken? What came first, the chicken or the egg? In a way, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. What, were they emulating their war god, or or did they just create him because this is who they really were? Kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of thing. Now, what Sophia has told me about God is God never spoke, but with lips of gentle laughing. Wow. Well, that sure so I, uh, tosses this other god uh, to the curb. <laughs> uh, well, that that becomes, a, 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 to my view, a very accurate measuring stick for the whether you're talking about the true god or whether you're talking about the god that humans have created. And the other right. measuring stick is simply, you know, do unto others you would have them do unto you. Paul's uh, Paul listing the fruits of the spirit. Paul talking about love in Corinthians. You take those verses and you compare them to the Old Testament God, and he's the opposite of everything we're taught quintessentially to be spiritually. Right. Um, so. Right. And, and it's amazing that, that, well, I mean, you know, critical thinking has gone out the window for so many people. You know, but, it, but it, it, it's like, do, do they not question that? You know, I mean, when they revere this book, the Bible, and I mean, and that's what Bible means, the book, you know, that's, you know, no more, no less. When they revere this book, what are they revering? You know, um, anyway, it, it, it just sort of boggles well, the mind. Well, they're, they're controlled through fear, of course. I mean, if yeah. they believe in a little eternal hell, then that fear is there. Otherwise, the book, the book is really, you know, it's another idol. Right. Is what it is. Right. You know, they're right. worshiping an idol. And in their concept of God, they're worshiping a different, a different kind of idol, an abstract concept of God, a particular theological perspective. But it's still an idol. And as long as you're caught up in that idolatry, you're never going to contact the genuine divine spirit because right. your false images create blockages. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, I, I have this image of, of goddess and God, and, 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 you know, for my listeners who think I've kind of thrown God, uh, you know, off the train, no, I, I haven't really, you know. I mean, I really do see the feminine and masculine side by side. I see God and goddess sitting up in a cloud on their rocking chairs, and, you know, God says to goddess, honey, why did, why did our children divorce us, you know? And, you know, and they're sitting there, you know, they're just sort of holding hands and, you know, maybe they're sipping an iced tea and they're looking down at us. Why did, why did our children divorce us, you know? We, we were never, we're here together. And, uh, you know, and she turns to him and she says, don't worry, I'm making a comeback. <laughs> but, it, but, but, you know, I, that's, that's sort of how I, how I see him, you know, and, and I see God would have to be that sort of gentle, Jesus-like, 
spirit or you know or i you know i don't want to have anything to do with them you know um right but uh, but anyway so so well let's 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 talk a little bit more about um you know sophia and so she said that about god i find that really interesting does she I, I wonder if if you have gotten any insight about what's going on in the world right now. I mean, is this all leading to a, 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 a? I mean, look, you know, I don't know how you get your messages. Maybe it isn't this specific, but I often wonder if what we're seeing in the world right now is a crumbling, so that something brand new can come up from the ashes. You know, is is everything? feeling like it's falling apart because it has to die before it can be reborn. I mean, anything like that do you get from her? Uh, let me see. Let me find it. Um, yeah, that, there, there is a couple of things she told me, if I can find them, um, that were specifically relating to this. I've got a lot of notes here. Um, That's okay. Take your time. Um, because I, I don't know, you know, it feels like we're living in a profound time. And when I interviewed Anne Baring, uh, who I think is a wise, wise woman, she was talking about the nature of the sacred feminine and, and the sacred masculine. And she felt like the masculine was our cognitive mind. You know, she called the masculine what the knowledge we have right now. And but she said that the feminine was our intuition and our inspiration, and the cognitive mind could not progress without the without the feminine bringing in the inspiration and the intuition, so that the cognitive mind can evolve. And that makes such perfect sense to me. I mean, we see it in the imagery of Kali with her foot on Shiva. You know, she has to activate him in order for him to be able to do what he needs to do. You know, Anne Baring called the sacred feminine the consciousness of of uh, the cosmos. And she also said she felt that the sacred feminine was trying very hard to help us evolve. And that, that gave me, um, you know, that, that was reassuring to me. I think it, go, it, it goes right, even back any further. I've, I've made a notation of some of the things I perceived as coming from Heavenly Father in 213. And one of the things he said to me was, she was needed at the point of origin. At so the point right of there. origin. What does that mean? At the very beginning, at the Big Bang, I would suppose. Okay, okay. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, relative to your other question, now these kinds, I did, I did hear this on October 11th, 2006. She said, ravages of the earth are mine. And then on December 5th, 2006, she said, dreadful days are new days on new boundaries. So that kind of ties in with what you were saying, the crumbling down of the structures to be rebuilt from the ashes. And, right. uh, and then in February 2006, she said, out of my body came a great transformation. And in 05, she said, I cleanse, but am not cleansed. I'm softening things. I am needed, you know. I'm erupting. Hmm. Everybody. Yeah. I'm in everybody. Wow. 
So those are the and, cookies. And in a way, they're I, a little bit cryptic, you know? They're, oh, they're well, yeah, oh, yeah. She always comes kind of sibling and cryptic. <laughs> yeah, Sometimes you know, it, I haven't penetrated their meetings. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Well, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of how they would talk about the, um, you know, the Delphic Oracle, you know, and you wouldn't always know exactly, you know, it would have to be interpreted. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't really clear. It could mean so many things. Right. She also said, I also alter everything. She changes everything she touches, and everything she touches changes. Wow. That's one of the things we... I mean, it's one of the... I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's one of the... It's almost... It's it's a chant that we sing in Goddess Spirituality. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, as soon as you said that, that's... uh, Wow. (laughs) Another time she said, and God said, now flow through this time, through that time, through one time to another. Hmm. Um, well, that almost, so. well, I mean, the first thing I think of when I hear that is, um, you know, Ann Bering was talking about all the multiple realities that are simultaneously happening. Um, you could almost, you know, uh, interpret that is is meaning multiple dimensions. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I've come to have to think in those terms because it's the only way I can explain different incarnations of Mary Magdalene having different memories. And some of them have to be cross-dimensional from other dimensions. <laughs> it's the only way right. I can accept it. Well, you know what, before we, uh, well, it's already 7 o'clock almost, um, and, you know, we've been just sort of uh, rambling here, but so why don't you tell me about the the 1969 mystical experience? Was that, that was the first one, right? That was the very first mystical experience. I don't know whether most people would consider it a mystical experience, but for me it functioned that way. Uh, Of course, I'd already been reading quite a bit of Alan Watts and J. Krishnamurti, well, and Emerson and Thoreau. And at this particular time, it was in the summer, uh, I was still amidst building our house, and we had, Dad had convinced me to move the old house on the property that Grandpa had built out of used lumber to another location. He said if we didn't move it, that uh, people would burn it down. So we moved it, and people still burned it down on us. But I was cleaning up all the trash around the old house, and it was hot, I was sweaty, I was dirty, and I was tired. And, it was, and I, so I just laid down in the grass underneath a bush and just stretched out and relaxed for a period of time. And for the first time in my life, I literally was immersed in the canticle of the birds. The birds became, the song of the birds became like the whole universe. It became like a, um, just this total interweaving of song. And that was my cosmic consciousness experience. You know, it's just like I was no longer in the everyday mind concerned about doing things, um, schedules and lists and this and that. And for the first time, I just was totally in Eden again. You know, and I realized from that that we're living in Eden. We're living in paradise all the time. But we don't allow it to impact upon us. We don't allow ourselves to just just be in it. Right. Um, and that was it for me. Um, but it well, that's, made that's, me aware. That's, that, that's meaningful. I mean, that's very meaningful and profound, you know. 
I remember it to this very day, that's for sure. (laughs) Well, yeah, and it's hard to language these things. I'm sure what you felt was more intense than what you can actually even language. Far more intense than I can put into language, you know, when I'm at my peak. And I'm not at my peak at the moment, so... And then, so then you had a dream of Sophia in 73. So, so nothing, I, I mean, you know, nothing sort of happens for those, what, uh, four years? Well, that, I, I could see, you see, I wasn't perceiving her as Sophia at that point. You know, I was raised Methodist. I didn't begin perceiving her as Sophia, per se, probably till the latter 90s. So I was still only seeing in terms of the Holy Spirit. But, of course, the Holy Spirit is Sophia. Um, so I mean, in '75, I, I could, you know, I could, I could sense so this Holy Spirit stirring in my life, certainly uh, with some things a little more private than I want to discuss. But sure. um, certainly, certainly in '75, uh, I was feeling it in '76. Um, but well, but the reason I worded it like that, when I think it's because. Um, you know, you can, you know, you can, I mean, look, my, the, what I would call mystical experiences, they aren't something I have every day, every month, even maybe, you know, even every year. Um, you know, there there can be long dry spells, and that's probably oh, very normal. Right, right. They are. I, I think I'd, I'd be concerned if somebody was talking to Sophia every week. <laughs> You know, oh well, I, well, I am talking to Sophia every week. Oh, oh. <laughs> but I'm only, but you know, I'm I'm only hearing, you know, enigmatic fragments. You know, it's like what I'm hearing is, it's like if you look at the ocean and the ocean is making waves, and I'm hearing like the very tippy tips of the waves. Right. I'm not hearing all the rest. I know it's happening. I know at times she's talking me for talking to me for a lengthy time. One time, Yeshua was talking to me for a full hour. And at the end, I heard about three words. I knew it was happening, but I couldn't hear any of it. It wasn't wow. getting through. So, well, if there, was a, if there was a dial that you could turn to, you know, make it clear. Be on the right wavelength. I, I yeah, think I'm just, thank you. you know, it, yeah. It's the way it feels. You know, right, I, yeah, it right, seems right. like it's a dial on a wavelength. And, and I think every human mind is functioning on a certain wavelength. Uh, and if you can turn it, tune into that wavelength, you can start hearing all the ones that are on that wavelength. <laughs> you know, it makes, it makes me wonder if it's a part of our mind that we just can't access or have forgotten how to use. I think probably we've forgotten how to use it. And also it's a protective. It's a protection. You know, I mean, if if if, if all the blockages, the barriers, the dikes were down, we would be overwhelmed by so many thoughts crashing into our mind simultaneously mm. all the time. It would drive us absolutely insane. Yeah, I mean, it would be hard to, you know, do a job. Do a <laughs> job know? or think your own thoughts or know what are your own thoughts. You know, I'm pretty sure some people that go off, off their nut and go killing people because they say, God told me to do it, you know. You know, something got through from some entity, and sometimes I think some of those entities actually take over their minds so that they think that's their own thoughts that they're thinking. Yeah, and yeah. And then they act on them, you say. Right. So, so it's a protective barrier, too. That makes and sense. It, and, it, and, it, and it allows us, and 
it also allows us to develop our own individuality, which True. we wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Otherwise, we'd be in this mass mind like the ants and the bees. Or the Borg on Star Trek. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the dream, the dream of Sophia in 73, what was that like? Okay, that was, that was uh, major in my life. <laughs> 73, this would have been in fall, I'm guessing September, October. I'd have to look back in my journals to see exactly when. Um, my grandmother, Beitler, had recently passed. My closest friend, Steve Prance, had been killed. And so I suspect at that particular time I was more open and receptive to something from beyond, in a sense. And in the dream, I was back at the house, the farmhouse I was raised in from age 1 through age 14. Um, and it's always kind of been my favorite house. Um, and I was sitting in the living room, and my grandfather and grandmother, both of them already passed over at that point in time, came down from upstairs. And they were inviting me upstairs with them. And upstairs within the symbology of the dream meant the afterlife. So these were like ghosts? Well, they just seemed like grandma and grandpa in reality. They didn't seem like ghosts in the dream. Right, they but they had like to be because they were... But, uh, they yeah, they'd already passed, passed on. They'd already right. passed on, definitely. And they were coming from the afterlife realms. So uh, grandpa, before he left, said, don't wait too long. And they just wanted me to come up and visit him. Well, I was afraid to go up because I was afraid that if I went up, I wouldn't be able to get back into this life. I had two children. I had a wife. I had a job. And, uh, you know, I wasn't wanting to be deserting them by being dead. <laughs> and then my cousin Marjorie came in from the kitchen. Uh, she's my mother's next oldest sister's daughter. And she told me that she'd been up there to visit Grandpa and Grandpa lots of times, and she'd always come back, and there was no problem. And so she, so she insisted that I, I should come on up, and then she went up the stairs to the second level story. And so I decided, well, if Marjorie, with Marjorie's reassurance that uh, I should be able to do that with no problem. So I went up the stairs. And initially, the upstairs was just like the upstairs at 9440 Bridge Lake Road. I went to the left, and another cousin was there, and I talked, chatted with her a bit, and then I turned to the right and started into the other rooms. And on the floors were mattresses, usually one-person mattresses. They, it, was, it, it had a sense of total poverty to the area, just mattresses, a few clothes, a few covers. And then in the next room, a few people were sleeping. And then I kept going on. The rooms, the rooms seemed to extend forever around the entire world. It seemed like it was endless rooms after rooms after rooms after rooms. So pretty soon I was beyond the boundaries of the house. And about the 12th room removed, um, I saw a figure of a woman lying on a cot with her back towards me, uh, with her face facing towards the wall but also down so that I couldn't see her face at all. But the shape of her looked like Marjorie's shape and she was sleeping. So I went over and um, moved her by her left shoulder towards me to be able to see her face. And then as her face came into view, it wasn't Marjorie's face. It was a sudden blast of light right into my face that just totally shocked me awake. I, I sat up. I was literally shaking. My whole body was shaking for five to ten minutes before I could finally calm down. No. And 
it was just uh, one of those wild dreams. But what did that mean? You know, I knew immediately that the dream had to have meant something, mm-hmm. but I didn't have a clue as to what the dream meant. And I didn't have a clue as to what that dream meant for 30 years, quite frankly. It, was, it wasn't until probably about 2003 that... Uh, a woman, you know, Sophia List that I belong to posted a post where she just had a dream and she was asking for anybody's insight into the meaning of the dream. Um, and she probably mentioned Sophia and just that mentioning of her dream and the fact that it was a Sophia List suddenly made me remember my dream and correlate, well, that was Sophia that I saw then. Um, and yeah, that's what I believe it was. I, I think this is the ultimate. You know, if you if you remove, you know, we're told that you know nobody has lifted the veil of ISIS and seen a real face. Right. Because if you did, you would drop dead. Um, and and that's been said about God too in the Bible that nobody has seen the face of God. If you did, you would die. But the Bible contradicts itself and it says other people did say his face. But um, I suspect that I kind of removed this second-to-last veil of <laughs> Sophia when I saw her there. I, I, I used to, you know, fools rush in where angels fear to trend. Uh, <laughs> I, I was talking to Yeshua one time, and I was saying, well, I'm, I want to see Sophia with the last veil removed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he, in effect, told me, no, you don't. <laughs> You'd find it too terrifying. <laughs> wow. Well, and, and you know, it, it, it makes me think about, uh, I'm a movie buff, and I'm thinking about the Indiana Jones movie, the one where, um, oh, what is it, the um, the Ark of the Covenant, and you couldn't look on the Ark of the Covenant when it opened the lid because of the light, you know, it would have. Okay, uh, right, uh, yeah. You know that there's there's that other example of that. Um, right. Uh, can't can't directly look upon the face of God. It reminds me of a a, a dream I had of Sekhmet. Actually, you know, I could only see her in profile. Um, so so then then you, you had a really interesting experience, more of a channeling, it, and it involved your seven year old daughter. Um, that right. that that really turned my head. I have to tell you because another friend of mine, something very similar to that happened with Aphrodite. He was sitting in a cafe and talking to a woman, and suddenly the woman's face started to change, and it was Aphrodite speaking to him. Uh, but but please go ahead and 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 talk about this um, channeling Sophia. Okay, channeling Sophia, this happened in 1977, as best I can figure. Um, at that particular point in my life, uh, my wife and I were heading towards divorce. Um, I was driving along Bidge Lake Road with my seven-year-old daughter. We were going over to my parents, her grandparents. And she was talking a steady stream, I mean, nonstop, on and on and on and on. I, I wasn't really listening, but, you know, I'd say a few words now and then to encourage her to keep on going and give the illusion that I was listening. What was really happening was I was thinking intensely in my head about the divorce, and I was making some very false projections excuse me, about my wife and what she was about to do. Um, 
and was getting extremely disturbed about that. And then suddenly, my daughter's voice changed. And it was like a young woman in her 20s was speaking to me. And she was speaking with a vocabulary that was considerably advanced over what my daughter ever used. And she corrected the false thoughts that I had been thinking. And so like she had been saying, in your head. So she had heard all my thoughts. Right. Yes. Uh, and, and it couldn't be my daughter because my daughter was steady state talking all the time. And she couldn't so, read so, your thoughts. <laughs> so she couldn't read. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying that some children can't because on Burl Hall's uh, Sophia's Web, there was a woman there that narrated how her daughter had read, 10-year-old daughter had read her thoughts. And the 10-year-old daughter confessed it to her mother and told her, Mommy, I'm never going to do that again. What's going on in your head is too scary. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So so anyway, um, the, then at the end, this woman concluded with, how did I know this? And then my daughter was talking her steady stream again. Um, mm. So with my background, I, I knew that, you know, I knew immediately, well, that had to have been the Holy Spirit. I mean, you know, it has to be some divine power that can literally hear my silent thoughts. Right, um, right. So well, and, in and later I'm not, years. Well, and I'm not going to ask you to reveal what she said, but the nature of what she said to you, um, was it helpful? I mean, did it... Oh, yes, it, yes. Oh, yes, she corrected. I, I mean, she made me realize I was casting my wife, I'm making totally false projections upon my wife. Uh, and she corrected those false projections, and I ceased making those false projections. Hmm. So. Well, and, and, you know, you, you and, and what's curious about that, too, is, you know how sometimes we, um, I, I mean, you know, everybody talks about what they think God is or God isn't, God goddess, and, um, you know, and sometimes you hear, well, you know, God or goddess can't be bothered with these trivial things, you know, uh, but yet here she was, you know, here she was, here she was. helping yes, you, definitely. you definitely. know, hel- helping definitely. you in, in a moment of despair, it sounds like, you know, in a moment of, right. of trouble. Like you always hear about Isis, you know, Isis was, you know, she was such a popular goddess because she could understand the sorrow, uh, the angst of humankind, you know. Um, and, and here, Sophia who some, so many people often equate with ISIS. She was... Right, definitely. It, well, Yasha once told me ISIS is always Sophia. So yeah. from an ISIS priestess' viewpoint, Sophia is always ISIS. And I've, you know, I've had some people that are uh, uh, devotees of ISIS who have shared some of their experiences you know, just a few years ago where ISIS definitely came to them in moments of deepest need. Yeah. Gave them, provided what they needed. Yeah, and you know, I've I've always found that to be the case. You know, it, when it, when the chips are really down, um, I, I I really do believe, uh, you know, goddess listens and hears and and can be called upon, and and you know, she is she is really there. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so then. Um, yeah, I agree. The, I mean, one time I asked her. I asked her one time, I think it's probably in 202, I asked her, how is it that every time I really need you, you're here for me? And 
this time, this was a unique time. She literally sang this to me. Uh, and, and her voice was very lilting and almost kind of playful, mischievous. And she sang, maybe I'm inside of you. You're inside of me. Hmm. <laughs> that would explain it, wouldn't it? She never that, that leaves you. It. She never leaves, no. No, she, I mean, she is genuinely she is genuinely omnipresent. You know, I, I view her as being the very life force of all existence itself. You know, from my perspective, theologically, God himself would be dead if Sophia weren't inside him <laughs> as yeah. his life force. <laughs> wow, there you go. There you go. That that's really sort of puts the hierarchy. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Inverse hierarchy does. It, I, I view I view the God Goddess relationship much like the Yin Yang sign. Yeah. You know. Yeah. They, they co-complete each other, and right. neither of them is whole without the other. Right. 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 Like a, in a way, almost like a good marriage. You know. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, one where. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, now, you, you said that she spoke to you again in 2001. Was that different from what you just described when she explained how she always could would be there for you when you really needed her? Um, 2001, uh, I was, I haven't quite launched my website. Uh, the website Cosmic Mother Wisdom Flower was launched on Easter Day 2001. This happened on February 28th, as best I can discern. I'd been doing research on Sophia online, and um, and I'd run across articles on the Reimagining Conference uh, put on by um, women's women in 1993, feminists, and it created a tremendous stir <laughs> throughout. <laughs> Throughout the church, so, you know, I mean, Presbyterian church fired some of the people, the women involved, and Methodists got real up, real riled up about it. And it was mainly the conservatives that wrote a lot of articles attacking it. Very difficult to find an article in support of it. And amidst these articles, there was an article by a retired Methodist bishop, uh, William R. Cannon. And, you know, he was doing the shame, shame, shame on you women for what you had done kind of thing. And it kind of irritated me. Well, but, so what, so well I, wait, 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 wait. But before we go on, I, I'm just really curious. What was so bad about the website? What was, I mean, was, the, the, was it about the Oh, the, the, the reimagining conference? Yeah. Uh, oh, they celebrated Sophia. Ah, okay. Yeah, they Celebrate, you know, I mean, Sophia was putting, being put ahead of God the Father. Sophia's being put ahead of Jesus Christ. It was Sophia. Oh, you know, we they had a <laughs> they had a Eucharist of of uh, of uh, honey and milk, and uh, uh, well, I wish I, I I didn't I didn't print out any of that material. I wish I could read a few legs or something to you, but it was definitely. <laughs> I hear you. Okay. It was definitely I mean, extremely heretical, to be sure. <laughs> right, right. I mean, because well, that's just like part of the church has gets, you know, there's that was that whole controversy about keep making sure they kept Mary less than Jesus, you know, that she could be right, God's definitely. wife, but but she could never be elevated to God status. And what they'd say is. Well, you don't even see. Sophia isn't even in the Bible when you're celebrating Sophia. Well, 
Sophia is in the Bible. Right. See, she spread throughout the New Testament. It's just that she's been translated out. Right. Every time right. it says Sophia in the Greek New Testament, they translate it as the abstract quality of wisdom. Right. And right. My, my understanding is the very latest Oxford edition of the of the Revised Standard Version has has restored Sophia to the Bible. Mm, I, I don't have a copy of that, but the, if you suddenly read all those verses with Sophia in the context and you're understanding that we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about goddess here, right. then suddenly that opens up a whole other dimension of meaning. Yeah, yeah it does. A, a meaning that the patriarchy does not want people thinking about. Does not want people to, to, to know, right. And Yeshua pointed to Sophia. You know, in John chapter 14 and 16, where he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he's saying, we're sending another comforter to be with you in place of me. And this is my Father's will, the Holy Spirit. Well, see, they translated the Holy Spirit as he. But Yeshua always said she, because in the Aramaic and in the Hebrew, spirit is always a feminine noun. He couldn't say anything but she. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I think I think it's when it got translated um, into Latin. I think that's right. when it, it 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 went from feminine to masculine in the masculine pronoun. And, and, and Greek, we went to the neuter pronoun. Yeah, yeah. And Yeshua also in um, the Gospel of the Hebrews, which didn't get included, made direct reference to my mother, the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So, well, we can understand why that one didn't get into the canon. (laughs) Of course, of course, you know. And the only reason reason it survives is the translator of all those scriptures into Latin, Jerome, happened to make mention of it in some of his commentaries. That's all I know. Right, right. Because he translated. So so go ahead and finish your your story. I'm sorry, I sidetracked you. Oh, right, whatever. That was 2001. So I was going to, I was intent on writing a rebuttal to Bishop Cannon's uh, article, point by point. Um, and I got up that morning and was on the edge of on the edge of the bed. I'd already pulled my briefs on and I'd pulled one sock on. I was pulling on that last sock, and that's when I heard Sophia speak to me. Now this is as a telepathic thought voice. I've never heard an oral voice uh, from an invisible person in my life. But what she said was, there is no need to defend me. I am already in charge of it all. (laughs) Which was pretty mind-blowing because we don't tend to think in terms of goddess really being in charge of it all. We think of God, Father being in charge of it all. Or or, or the fundamentalists kind of think, Satan has the control over the world, but never God mm-hmm. has. And my response was, but I want to defend you. And then I went proceeded to spend the next two days writing a 7,000-word article. <laughs> um, well, and, and, you, and, you know, I don't know if you um, were listening to my first guest, but we were talking about the Sepmet statue that got stolen from the Sepmet Temple outside Las Vegas. And and really, most of the community has come to the genuine belief, 
genuine belief, in, in all sincerity. Um, they say she's on, they call it she's on walkabout, but basically they believe that this statue was stolen. It's all her design, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, and it feels like so many more people have discovered her because of this theft, and I'm oh. sure, you know, and I'm sure, you know, this this conference that you were talking about, or this this website that was uh, elevating Sophia to this lofty status, all of the humbug around it, um, you know, maybe that was just all by design, you know. Very possible, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's sort of so. like when the church says, don't go see this movie because it's a bad movie. It'll be a sin if you go see the movie. Well, everybody flocks to the movie then. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, as a matter of fact, yeah, yeah, it's really good publicity if you can get the church turned against it and shouting out against it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah you, you almost wonder if these things are a form of... of um, uh, of oh, I'm, I'm struggling for the word here, but it's almost as if um, raising the consciousness of her existence. Yeah, yeah, because people want to know what all the fury is about. That yeah, and point. then people start thinking about it and talking about it, and suddenly, you know, suddenly yeah, it's the topic of conversation. And if, and if we can keep that in mind, you know, it, we realize in this sense how the person who is our opposition is secretly our friend. <laughs> true, true, absolutely. Oh, I, I can't tell you when, uh, I, I mean, when I finally came to the realization that my enemies were really my frenemies, you know, uh, because yeah. I, I, and I really believe that the adversity that I suffered, um, I, I, those were the people I should have thanked the most because they made me who I am. I've had I've had similar experiences. The people that created the most troubling of my life for me. Once I got through it all, then I could be nothing but grateful to them. Right? Because yeah. I would not have I, ended up where I was without their actions. Yeah, there. It's almost so as if they are, they are, they are. Um, you know, they are playing a role. You know, and and uh, you know, maybe they are playing a role that Goddess intended them to play for our benefit. You know, ultimately our benefit, yeah. even though oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. In, in the adversity, it doesn't feel that way. <laughs> no, it sure doesn't. But that was definitely what was happening in '75. It was leading to my marital breakup because you know I couldn't have become what I became unless the marriage was left behind. Right. Uh, and certainly, God, God is stirring there. <laughs> she definitely yeah. was in ways that. Uh, I don't think I want to expose. <laughs> well, and, and I think she can really be a, a, a trickster, too. You know, she's definitely yep. got a wicked Well, she was that then. <laughs> a wicked, that wicked, wicked sense of humor. Um, so, <laughs> so now you've, you also then um, figure out you are hearing the voice of Yeshua, who is, for listeners who don't know that term, Jesus. Um, and Jesus is talking to you about Sophia. Right. Uh, I mean, I was hearing the voice of Sophia, and um, starting and definitely coming through real heavily in 2001. And then there's a couple other things I'd like to read that I that, that she said to me before I was sure. necessarily sure, totally clearly um, defining as hearing the voice of Yeshua. She said, 
I am who caused you. The very love from which you were born was me. Um, I'm within men. I'm a woman. Um, and so as I was beginning hearing more and more of Sophia, I realized that I was starting to hear another voice. And it was a male voice, and it was talking to me about Sophia. Um, I mean, initially I thought, well, this has to be Father's voice. Uh, I mean, what male is going to know the most about Sophia? Uh, but eventually, you know, I, you know, I'd also in uh, December of 2003, I was given the guidance to progressively seek Mary Magdalene. And so that got mixed into there. And eventually I realized that the voice I was hearing that was t- talking to me about Sophia, I finally decided it had to be Yeshua's voice. Um, and, you know, he, he was saying things like, did you know that Mother Union gives herself through change? She is a living fire. Reflective hearts run invisibly to her. And I dream in the heart of the stream of her unthinkableness. <laughs> that was, you know, that one really resonated with me. You know, that's Yeshua's own response to Mother Sophia. If she births herself to them, light will follow. Behind the cosmic mystery, her nameless beauty. Such adoration. You can hear the love and adoration he has for her. Yes, you can. In in his statements about her and in his statements that later would come on about Mary Magdalene. Um, So... Yes, I started. I started hearing him, and then because I'd heard the, the guidance uh, to progressively seek Mary Magdalene on December twentieth, two thousand three, then I began doing everything I could online to try to find Mary Magdalene. I was trying to find an incarnation of Mary Magdalene to link up with, and um, I looked for a couple months, and I I got pointed towards Goddess Christians. Uh, one woman said, "Well, Margaret Starbird is there. Read her books." Um, I found the Magdalene list. Um, but I wasn't finding anything there that was really satisfying me. You just got lots of people's opinions, but this wasn't helping me really find Mary Magdalene. I had a couple contacts. One woman who thought she was the second coming of Jesus Christ, so I contacted <laughs> her and asked her, well, I mean, like, let's try anything here. <laughs> right? <laughs> she's pretty fundamentalistic, and we really conflict. But, uh, but you know, she's a human being with sensitivities and feelings. And you know, I was absolutely amazed because her response was, well, Wynn, I hope this doesn't upset you, but have you ever considered that you might be Mary Magdalene? Hmm. Uh, and, and and as Jesus, I could love you like I loved you back then, hmm. uh, which just totally blew my mind. It was, I bet. You know, it, was a, <laughs> it was a very sensitive moment. I, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and she really tried to be helpful. I contacted a fellow that I'd met about a year before on a Sophia list, um, who believed he was the reincarnation of Judas Iscariot. Well, I'm not too prone to doubt somebody thinking they're Judas Iscariot, because who in the world would want to be Judas exactly. Iscariot? Exactly. It's not like they're <laughs> and, saying I'm Cleopatra or, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I wrote him and I asked him, uh, and he says, well, as a matter of fact, uh, Mary Magdalene was my third wife and my seventh wife is Jesus Christ. <laughs> I said, well, can you connect me up with her? He says, uh, no, she wouldn't want to talk to anybody that have anything to do with me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so after about four months of 
progressively seeking Mary Magdalene and coming up with nothing. I mean, I did lots of Google searches and things like that. Um, I finally, suddenly it dawned on me, and I didn't understand why it hadn't dawned on me considerably sooner. Well, gosh, I'm in contact with Yeshua. Why haven't I just asked Yeshua to connect me up with Mary Magdalene? He has to know where she's at. Right. So, so I began bugging Yeshua over the thought waves to please connect me up with Mary Magdalene. Uh, a week or two would go by, and I'd remind him again. Another month would go by, and I'd remind him again. Uh, at one point, he said, um, let me see, what was it? Um, Am I not enough for you? <laughs> uh, he said, there are problems, uh, which indicated there, there, there's going to be a delay here. And at another time, he said, she has to consent. Okay, that all made sense. Uh, so years went by. Um, that was probably about April, May 2004. And uh, I kept progressively seeking Mary Magdalene, and recurrently I bugged Yeshua about it. Um, then it came to the year 2006. Now, and I actually heard a couple of things over the thought waves that was uh, that were instructing me that uh, that it was finally going to start coming true. So on um, July 15, 2006, what I heard was an indication that Mary Magdalene would be contacting me in a year. And then on Magdalene Feast Day itself, July 22, 2006, I heard Yeshua's voice telling me that his angelic half would be contacting me in about a year and a half. So another year passed, and I forgot all about that. Um, because, you know, these, the, you, you get half a dozen words uh, within hearing 100,000, 150,000 words a year that I'm writing down. So 2007 came around, and on Magdalene Feast Day, I asked Mary Magdalene to connect me up with her. You know, at 9.05, I wrote it down in my voice notes journal besides my, beside my easy chair. I asked her that to please, if there was a genuine incarnation of her on my Yeshua Miria list, to please have her contact me that day. And this was just a silent thought sent out to Mary Magdalene, and I talked to Yeshua and Magdalene, and so it's just like I'm talking to you now. I mean, there's no, there's no churchy prayer kind of <laughs> atmosphere to it. I'm just talking to them. And... That day, I received email from one person, and she wrote me from 3,000 miles away, and she told me that she'd heard a voice, and this was an oral voice that made sound waves behind one of her shoulders, I forget which one, tell her to contact Wind Manners immediately. He can be trusted. And she wrote me a very puzzled email wondering and made a query about something that in her life that she was interested in interested in tracking down, wondered if that was relative to that. And I wrote back and I told her uh, what I'd asked, but I unintentionally misdirected her. So I told her that I'd prayed to the divine or something like that. I'd already forgotten that it had been Mary Magdalene specifically that I'd asked for the, that I'd asked it of. And um, I told her that 
what I'd asked for, and she said, I am she. Well, the nature of the connection, because she'd heard the voice literally, and because it was an answer to my request that very day, you know, suddenly you're not, you're not testing each other out back and forth for a half a year, a year, to see if you can trust each other. You know mm-hmm. you can because of the nature of the connection. So right. she opened up immediately. And then a couple of weeks later, as she was going on about whatever she was sharing with me, as a parenthetical statement, she mentioned that it had been her higher self, Mary Magdalene, that had spoken to her. So hmm. she knew that without me having told her. I had unintentionally misdirected her. And when I went back to, when I finally went back to reading over the voice notes, because on Magdalene's piece day, I'm particularly open trying to hear from Mary Magdalene, um, that's when I noted that, I, that the request had been made specifically to Mary Magdalene. So, so, so when this was a this is a flesh and blood woman, who is who believes she is the incarnation of Mary Magdalene. Am I getting that right? Right, definitely. Okay, definitely. And I, I'm not I'm not for a moment doubting her because I asked Mary Magdalene to hook me up with an incarnation of her that day, and this is the woman. It was a silent request, and this is the woman that contacted me. Right, telling right. me Mary Magdalene had told her to contact me. Yes. I mean, this absolutely, totally verifies for me that our prayers can be heard and they can be acted upon. No, I, I believe that. I, I, I believe that. Well, and I wonder, do you think there can be more than one incarnation of her at once? I mean, can there definitely. be many incarnations yeah, yeah, of her simultaneously? Yes, definitely. Uh, because, because of the second one that contacted me. Now, um, then, then, then when, uh, uh, when it came around to March 7th, 2008, I received an email from a woman half a world away who told me that her husband, Christ, had told her early that morning to contact me. And hmm. so here goes. And this was a 3,700-word email. Um, and it detailed her uh, her memories with her husband back then, their children, uh, her flight uh, because of fear of Peter killing her or having her killed, um, and and her experiences into the higher heavens or the higher ions, as Gnostics call it. It kind of resembled some of the Gnostic uh, material in Nagamati, but was different and in a more contemporary language and actually more understandable uh, than the Gnostic treatments of it are. And eventually then, it was probably a year a year or two later, I eventually got, when Mary Magdalene feast day was coming around again, and I got to wondering, well, I wonder what happened on Mary Magdalene feast day in 2006, and went back and reviewed the voice notes for the week before and the week after and, and on Mary Magdalene feast day. Itself, and that's when I located where Yeshua told me on Magdalene Feast Day, 2006, that his angelic half would be contacting me in about a year and a half, and that's when the second Magdalene contacted me about a year, seven months, and a few days. It was about a year and a half. So that voice note verified, to my values, her authenticity. Wow. But she has different memories. I mean, the two Magdalene's have similar dreadful memories of Peter. Both of them remember children. Both of them remember getting married to Yeshua. 
but you know, otherwise, in large part, their stories don't tell me. So hmm. that's when I realized, well, I've got two authentic Magdalenes who are in contact with me, uh, but they're remembering from a different dimension. So when, so you mentioned you mentioned children. I mean, you know, the whole marriage children thing is a whole hot button issue. You know, is the Grail really the bloodline? That whole thing. Um, is is there a is there a consensus there that there were children? What happened to the children? Uh, I'm, you know, I really hoped <laughs> that I would be able to contact about six different Magdalenes, and they'd all have pretty close to the same story without uh, without ever having contacted each other. But their stories are all radically different. The children are different. Uh, uh, the second Magdalene says four sons, and she lost the fourth one. She was pregnant with the fourth one, and Yeshua didn't even know she was pregnant, and she lost it uh, just because of the premature birth, because of the, the turmoil and the problem, the travail she was going through to save her life. Um, first Magdalene, I think first she told me there were two daughters, if I'm remembering right, and later on she was getting memories of a son, too. Uh, so you get all kinds of different things. Um, um, they don't correlate. It's, right, yeah. right. So well, I, just and put, I, I just put it into the. I just put it into alternate time tracks, and it happens. Right, right, right. So, um, wow, that's uh, well, and and you know, for I mean, obviously, you're in the thick of this, so you are experiencing it. Um, but did you did you ever stop and think that maybe you know these women were just delusional? Or did that never, was it, did it feel so, so because profound? Of, because, these two, because of the nature in which they contacted me. And yeah. Because it was an answer to specific requests of Yeshua and Magdalene. No, I, I mean, I, I don't consider them delusional, no. Right, now, I have right. been contacted by women who claim to be Mary Magdalene, who I have considered to be delusional. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, but this, uh, the coincidence and, uh, with some the delusional, two some some it's just you know it's like a schoolgirl romantic fantasy. Oh, I'm right. To Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they I don't. Can... But they don't have the memories. They don't have the teachings that a Magdalene would have. You say. Right. So they're, right. they're just kind of living a fantasy. So, but there's delusions too, for sure. Um, well, I still want to have time for a couple of your poems, uh, but uh, before we get to those, because they're so beautiful, um, can you kind of uh, give us a short version of how Sophia hooked you up to your mother on the other side? Uh, oh, okay. Well, I'm not, you know, I don't know how she hooked me up. You know, I kind of view Sophia as kind of like Indra's net. She's being the life force of everything in the universe. She is, of course, a unity, so she just has the power to connect us up with anyone, anywhere. She has the that ability to connect us up with angels. She has the ability to connect us up with God the Father, even if he is separate from earth and off in the Pleroma, because she's his bride. Mm-hmm. Uh, she can, she can, and since time is like silly putty to her, she can connect us to people in the past. She can mm-hmm. connect us to people in the future. I mean, I've been told that some of what I'm hearing over the thoughtways is future spill down. So she can certainly connect us up with anyone on the other side. Right. Now, the interesting thing, the interesting thing when I was connected with my mother, was 
the first connection, Ma was just absolutely deeply horrified that someone was actually hearing her thoughts. <laughs> Ma had always been a very, very private woman. And the thought of and me sending a communication to her, which Sophia, in a sense, becomes the transmission of it, uh, into her head, and she realized that her thoughts had been heard, she just immediately set up a block. And so later on, uh, I don't know whether it was a week or two or three later, um, finally I, you know, Ma came through, and just with a few things, I don't hear too much, um, she said, I'm singing in the light, and she said, I love being in the lap of love. Wow. And, and I asked her, well, Ma, are you looking forward to reuniting with Dad again? Because I think my parents probably took their vows till death do us part. And I knew the connection was real right then because she said in a very piquant voice, I don't know whether he loves me anymore. Oh. And that's exactly the way it was when Mom passed on. I mean, Dad didn't hmm. even... You know, Dad would ask my sister, who's that old woman who lives here with me? I mean, he was already so sunk in dementia that he didn't yeah. recognize his old wife of 60 years. <laughs> you know, so, wow. Uh, so, uh, yeah, and, she, and she's connected me up with um, an old witchy friend. I mean, she was kind of a white witch, witch that, um, uh, you know, she had some psychic powers. Uh, she 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 saw the second man in her life before she married her first husband. Twenty years earlier, he came as a vision before, hmm. uh, and and her her son-in-law Hank would always you know he he was a total skeptic. He didn't believe she had any powers at all, uh, and she warned him one night that he'd better bring those colts down from that back field there in that back pen because there was a cougar out there and a cougar was going to get him that night. Well, he you know, downplayed what she was saying, but he was smart enough to go up and bring those colts down to the barn. Next day he goes up and there's cougar tracks in the snow. Hmm. Um, and she, there used to be a tree that we'd pass uh, going to her place, and she'd comment on that tree. She said, that tree has a different aura than any other tree I've ever seen, and she was wondering why that was. So, you know, she saw auras. So... I called just to contact with her and see how she was doing. Linda and Gamelia were working 120 miles away at that time. I didn't have any transportation. It was wintertime. And I got a hold of her daughter, and her daughter told me her mother was dying right then. Well, I couldn't get to Irene's side because I didn't have any transportation. So I asked Becky to tell Irene that I loved her and please ask her if at all possible to contact me from the other side. Because uh, I figured... If anybody can contact me from the other side, it would be Irene. And this was before my mom passed on. So it was about six months after Irene had passed on. And, you know, the contact was finally initiated. Um, she came through, definitely Irene's voice, definitely Irene's attitude. And she was irritated with me. What did you want me to contact you for anyway? <laughs> <laughs> I, I deduced from that that... Uh, She'd been trying to contact me lots of times, and, you know, she hadn't gotten through. I hadn't been listening. You know, the, the opening hadn't come. Well, I told her, well, I mean, I figured if anybody could, you could. And, you know, I don't honestly know whether there's any afterlife. I mean, this could all just be a fantasy that's concocted up by the religions to console people and make them feel better. 
but if you could contact me from the other side, that I'm going to be sure there's an afterlife and there's another side. Uh, and then I asked her uh, what it was like over there. Well, it wasn't anything like Ma's circumstance. <laughs> I mean, about a year before she died, she, she told Linda and I that, uh, well, I know I'm a snob. The reason we get along is you and Linda are snobs, too. <laughs> I never viewed myself or Linda as a snob. But I, <laughs> okay. So did she tell you what it was like was. on the other side? <laughs> and she was with the snobs on the other side, and they were snobbing her. And she was really <laughs> upset about that. <laughs> well, I know it all. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. So, so the... Uh, so, so there's even that on the other side. <laughs> there's even that on the other side in whatever, you know, in whatever parts of it. You know, my friend Steve Kranz contacted me from the other side too, and uh, he said, and to his view, it was just boring. He said that the powers in charge, which was like they were petrified. Uh, so I think he was just totally bored there. I mean, when Steve was alive, he never wanted to come back to Earth again. This was during Vietnam war years, and we were part of the peace protesters, and uh, and he vowed he was never going to come back uh, in, in one of his poems, but, you know, about two years ago, I heard his voice saying that he was going to reincarnate soon. I think hmm. he just found it too boring to be on the other side where he wants <laughs> something more happening. <laughs> well, when we're starting to run short on time here, uh, I know you had a couple poems that... Um, okay. That... That, that you wanted to share. I, I, I want to make sure we have time to fit that in. Um, you, you want to start with one or two of them, and we'll see how the time goes? Okay, sounds good. And th- thank you for sharing that about the other side. That's It's funny, and, and it's reassuring. <laughs> it is reassuring, and, you know, there are people at Yahoo Answers that frequently ask questions about that, and, you know, I've, I've shared those stories before. That's that's the full extent of my experiences, but, but they're diverse enough to realize that the other side is diverse. Right. So, um, in the circle of eternal stillness, in the circle of eternal stillness, I was an element of your light. In the repose of infinite motion, I was a seed in your womb of potential. Your love flapped round me, reposing in you. From the beginning of this awareness itself, growing wonder-filled in the vastness of your all. How is Hmm. it I have come to your love without any traveling to get here? In the depths of your eternal nature, in the deep an infinite well of your vastitude, your limitless intelligence inherent in the seed matrix of the life fabric itself. You touch in as deeply as the very most business of being, Isis, anywhere, every here, you. You who are the eternal wisdom, beloved, all divine understanding. From the living fountain of your heart of love, the sibylline wisdom of the ages has flowed, revealing the deeper significance 
of our lives in the living. Your voice flowing soft ripples through my mind, caressing my eternity, weaves me unto this cleaving to you, inwarms me to be your delicate sensitivity into flesh and time in this loving that will not end. Hmm. Ah, very nice. Very nice. When did you write that one? Uh, let me see. Do I have the date on this one? <laughs> I don't have the dates on oh, the, the notes okay. that I did. I don't have them. Uh, I usually why post them. But why don't we? Why don't we? Do probably, I would guess two o four, two o six, somewhere in there. Something like that. Well, why don't why don't we do one more of your favorites? Okay, she is the song of Shakti delight. Our Lady descended as heaven over the beginning of beginnings. She is God's song, and she is my song. She is a gentle song of energy's shakti delight, delighting in herself, and in all that is, braiding us together. It requires a lot of hands, working and playing, all together, to alter the misdirectioning of this human-dominated world from ways of short-sighted and self-destroying folly. As daughters and sons of goddess, we have the power to destroy. The thunderbolts of Zeus were mythic metaphor for what mankind would become capable of doing, and more. She wears veils. And each of us is a veil of her. Lift one of her veils and the face of Isis is revealed. Lift another veil and knew it, Mother Night herself is revealed. Lift her final veil and a supernova of light will blast you awake, shaken to the core of your being. <laughs> Dreaming in the heart the streaming of her unthinkableness. Living mystery behind mystery, behind an infinitude of veilings to reach the truth of her. In the truth of you, beloved, why so dancing this heartbeat? Why so singing this knowing? Why so love-struck this free? Living epiphany, in ecstasy of exaltation, sinking into the bliss of this beatitude. You are the wings that fly me home, into the heartbeat of our forevering. Mm. Well, you're definitely getting inspiration, that's for sure. They're beautiful. Yeah, and you, and you can see how I worked. What Yeshua told me, I dream in the heart of the stream of her unthinkableness. You know, I used that light. line. I, I stole that, that line from Yeshua. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you, you know, when you talked about the light too, you know how the uh, right, you know, 
Yeah, right. Well, I, I referenced my, that experience, yeah. Yeah. So, when we're about out of time here, um, I, I guess in closing, is there anything you would like to make sure you, you know, share with listeners um, before we have to say goodnight? Okay, yeah, yeah, I did uh, I did write all the conclusion back on uh, the 21st, uh, and that is my closing. It has been proven to me, absolutely, that this divine feminine spirit exists, can hear us, and can respond. She's not a fantasy. She's not just a metaphor. She's not just a personification. She's a spiritual reality. That absolute knowledge that, yes, she's real, provides a lot of reassurance, a deep in grounding, a solid foundation of real faith and real hope for the transformative formation that is coming into being. And when you know absolutely that she is real, that gives you courage to speak out when needful. And I think it's important that we be bold enough to come out of the closet and share the spiritual reality of the spiritual experiences we are graced with, regardless of how some are going to respond to them. And those of us who literally hear Goddess to whatever extent or feel her presence, whatever way that sense of contact, of communion with her, of reassurance happens for us, it is beneficial to share because it helps and reassures others. We don't have to hide this anymore in countries where freedom of speech exists. If you live in Iran, Afghanistan, northern Somalia, yeah, you'd better keep it in the closet, or you will have to be very, very subtle working within the straitjacket of those cultures. I'm convinced that real relationship with Sophia is possible for anyone. My experiencing of Sophia has, in large part, then love whisperings from her directly into my mind. As a result of embracing Sophia, Yeshua has come into my life, Mary Magdalene has come into my life, and he who I sought for 40 years, eventually, last of all, began speaking to me too, Heavenly Father himself, and all because I embraced Sophia with the totality of my being as much as I have been able to. I haven't been experiencing the bouts of loneliness and sense of alienation that I experienced for 50 years before I began embracing Sophia. In embracing Sophia, I feel more at home in the world. On a world that is, as much as we ourselves are, her body. A world in which she is the very life force and the very love in which each of us was born. Beautiful win. Beautiful conclusion. What there's nothing else I can say. You've you've said it all so um so beautifully. Um why don't you go ahead and enlist your uh your website uh, so that just in case um you know any listeners who catch us from the archives might want to connect with you, how would they find oh. you? Oh, okay. I'm at cosmicwin.net. Um Really, I mean, the easiest way uh, to find my locations is just go into Google and put Wind Manners in the search box, 
put quotation marks on each side of it because otherwise you're going to get all kinds of websites to talk about manners. And uh, um, it'll come up. You know, there'll be a link to Cosmic Mother Wisdom's Lover to the uh, to the contents page. The, uh, okay. The, and uh, and also you know you'll be able to access my Facebook page there. Uh, okay. And and if you access my Facebook page, I also run a page called Seeking Mary Magdalene and another page called Sophia, Mother of the All on on Facebook. And if you go into Yahoo, that will provide you some more links to my material online. Uh, okay. Yahoo, Yahoo brings up a different group of stuff than Google does. But Win Manor should right. be enough to, to locate me. Okay. Well, Wynn, thank you very much. We only have three minutes left, and I have to uh, do some wrap-up. But thank you so very much for being on the show tonight. Well, thank you so much for having me here. Okay, it was lovely. Thank you for what you brought listeners tonight. Well, my dear listeners, uh, I owe Joe Carson a commercial, and here it comes. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet. It's called the chthonic mind, the mind of the earth. Our ancestors understood that the animal and the divine were all connected, they were together, that there wasn't a separation. That's what we are trying to return to, is that sense that our animal nature is divine. It doesn't get in the way of the divine. It gets us closer to it. What's your idea of being fully alive as a human being? Because that's what's really spiritual. Write it down. Start writing your own Bible if you want. That's the sacred. And by that, I just mean sweaty, fun, happy sex. That voice you were hearing was Serena Roney Dougal, Ph.D., speaking in Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Dancing with Gaia explores the connection between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddess as Gaia. And it features 15 other visionaries, such as Serena, who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. The DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book and costs just $20, and you can get your own copy at DancingWithGaia.com. Next week, I'm happy to say I have two shows for you. On Tuesday, June 3rd, a very special show chatting with the presenters will be at the Nashville Goddess Conference. Then our regularly scheduled show on Wednesday, June 3rd with Zohara Hieronymus discussing the future of human experience, Senate Sisterhood, the Good Earth Society, and other topics shedding light on that paradigm shift that's going to change the world. And hey, if you have not had a chance yet to pick up my book, Goddess Calling, it's It truly does show how we can have an alternative to patriarchy and how goddess spirituality sets us free. That's why it's called liberation theology, and that's theology with an A. Well, thank you, listeners. Uh, As always, uh, you are the gas in my tank. So tune in next week. Please remember to click the F on my show page uh, so that you can follow uh, the wonderful guests that come on each week. Good night, and have a wonderful weekend, and I'll be back with you again on Tuesday. Evil, mama, father,